Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hmm? Ah. Huh. Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Paige. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show, The Midnight Club. Ooh, today we're covering the first episode of The Midnight Club titled The Final Chapter. Which is funny. First episode, final chapter. <laughs> I, I literally like the night it dropped and I watched it like at like 2 a.m. that night. I literally like I hit play and then saw the title as it was starting. And I was like, had to like double take and make sure I was like, did it somehow queue up the last episode? And I wasn't like I had to make sure I was like, wait, 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 wait. OK, we're good. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I'm glad I wasn't the only one because uh, when I started it, I was like, hey, wait a minute. What? And I did like the little back button on my yeah. remote. I was like, am I on the right one? Because I thought, oh, that's my luck, right? Like (laughs) uh, starting on like the final episode instead of the first one. Like if I had scrolled wrong, because I'm I'm kind of walking around with like zero sleep these days Mm -hmm. and I'm a little bit slap happy and (laughs) just like goofy in general, even more so than normal. Um, So, yeah, I did. I did the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. So it's an interesting title. For the first episode. Not quite mm-hmm. clear, I think, where that comes from. Typically, think, do you do you have insight on that? Yeah, I think it's just on the opening of this episode, because when it very first opens, we have Alonka giving kind of this monologue talking about writing the next chapter and the next chapter. Oh. As, you know, start, people like to talk about starting the next chapter of your life. And then so I think it's playing off of that monologue and then the fact that the news that she gets and the sudden realization that all I've been thinking about is the next chapter. And I just found myself in the final chapter without even knowing that I was there, you know, like, okay. That totally went right over my head (laughs) again. um, Running, running a little crazy around here, but okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So what, what are your general thoughts? We're back, you know, in October, we are, back covering something from mike flanagan which has been uh yeah it's been uh has become some tradition around here for strange indeed this time of year 
as we were chatting about before we started to record, uh, it seems Netflix has coined uh, all of these shows um, from Mike Flanagan um, as being under the Flaniverse, as you as you were saying. Yeah. So I love that. I, I saw someone else write it's about so that. Cool. And I was like, wait, what? I had to go look for myself um, that that's what they're doing. So um, it's exciting to be back covering some something for Mike Flanagan. What do you think so far? I know it's just the first episode, but what's your first impressions? Right. Um, first, first impressions. I have no idea where this is going to go. Like I have some like <laughs> yeah. little ideas, like I kind of see with them playing with stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's like little thoughts of like, Oh, maybe they're going to do this with it or maybe, but like nothing concrete. And I'm really intrigued to see where it goes. Cause I have no idea right now. Uh, but I think it was a great setup with this episode. Uh, I like the characters that they've brought to us, which Flanagan always writes incredible characters. Or I mean, I don't. Know, I guess he mm-hmm. didn't really write these as much as Christopher Pike did. But uh, but I don't. I never read the book, so I don't know how well the adaptation is and and how the characters you know <laughs> work in that way. But at least the characters that we're seeing on screen and the way that they've been written for this show, I think, were set up great. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna fall in love with all these characters immediately, and then I'm ready to have. My heart, my heart just ripped to shreds. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's been my only expectation for this show is just knowing. And again, it's not an original. And I guess not everything that Mike Flanagan has done has been an original, but he's been able to take like his special touch and you know, really make you care about the characters with his, his writing. Um, so that's really the only thing I've expected so far is just, you know, I'm not there yet. Cause it's just the first episode, but I'm like, I feel like maybe by the end of it, it's, there's going to be something that's going to rip my heart out. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's typically how most of the uh, shows that we cover from him, um, have been. So, yeah, I'm, and I'm like you, I, I'm not sure what to expect yet. This was, you know, I'll admit I've I was a little apprehensive um, when I learned what this show was about. When I heard, you know, young teenagers, and I was like, "Oh, okay, um, I'm open to it." But I'm like, I, "Am I going?" Because look, I'm older, and mm-hmm. um, and I thought, "Will I be able to connect with any of these characters?" You know, I'm mm-hmm. I could be any of these kids here on the show. I could be their mom. So it's like, um, you know, I, maybe I can connect with them that way. But typically when we're watching something from Mike Flanagan, I can usually connect either with all the characters on some level or, you know, connect one character through a, a myriad of ways. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I was a little concerned, but I like what I'm seeing so far. I just don't know what to expect. I don't know where it's headed just yet. Mm-hmm. So, but I have faith because. Everything that I've seen from Mike Flanagan so far, right. I've loved. So, between all of these Flanaverse shows and then the m- movies he's all directed that I've seen, I mean, he's never steered me wrong before. I've always, I've never been disappointed in a Flanagan project, you know, knock on wood. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Knock on wood, just in case. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, his track record is pretty perfect so far. So, I'm, yeah. I'm in, I'm in for the ride. No complaints so far. Um, well, with that being said, um, why don't you kick us off this week with your first point? 
All right. I, first, I was having trouble with. I, I got you so used to the three points from Lock and Key that I was just like, "Oh I God, I have to find two more." I'm like, now. oh no, <laughs> got to d- dig deep. And I know I was thinking uh, the same thing. I was like, "Oh crap, I got to come up with five. <laughs> I'm so used to <laughs> being able to just have three. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's okay. <laughs> so the first ones might be kind of might be a little smaller, but um, so I guess kind of, and they're all going to intertwine in a little bit in some way, but. But my first point, my number five I'll go with, is uh, the story or the stories of Julia Jane. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, of course, the first we see of it is just that quick little uh, online search that Alonka does in her hospital room, which, man, that dial-up tone brought me back to childhood. Oh, God. Wow. Um, <laughs> for real. Kids these days <laughs> will never know. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, oh, man. It was like... Can nobody in the hospital use the phone now? No, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> man, uh, the nineties. That's which uh, random note. I did say, uh, how do you know that it's the nineties? We play Shine by Collective Soul because that will always do the trick. Um, yeah, Lock and Key just did to, it too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you have to guess, yep. Um, we need to com- you know convey that it's the nineties collective soul that's always the answer they'll get it mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but yeah so she goes online and then she's drawn to Brightcliff hospice mainly through i mean she's just trying to find any kind of she's grasping at straws she's the doctors have given up pretty much as far as there's nothing more we can do all of the trials all the tests don't work we we just you know need to prepare for the end and so she takes it on herself to just like out of desperation just like what is out there what can mm-hmm. i find that has any small semblance of anything and so she finds bright cliff but then she's having these visions and these other things which we'll talk about later i'm sure uh <laughs> but then it kind of leads to her kind of blacking out a little bit but when she wakes up she's got this page of julia jane and the story of her pulled up on the on the computer screen there and that she was one of the early uh patients of Brightcliff mm-hmm. and that something happened that she is claiming had cured her cancer back in, you know, 68 or whatever this was. Um, <clears throat> and so that leads Alanka, of course, to be, that's the reason that she goes to this place is she's just clinging on to this little, like strange story of Julia Jane. And there's this small possibility of something and she's going to chase after it. Uh, and then, of course, she meets all the other kids. We'll talk about all those things. But um, mm-hmm. we get to the Midnight Club meeting. That's where she finds that she fits in really well because she is an aspiring. She's an English major, aspiring writer, I'm sure. Yeah. So to her kind of initiation to the club, she's able to spin this really compelling story pretty quick and easy. And she just takes that true story, uh, the true story of Julia Jane, who arrived at, Bright, uh, at Brightcliff, went missing for a little bit. And then came back and said she was cured. And then she can take that story to expand it and over-exaggerate it a little bit. That, oh, she disappeared for way longer. And then when she came back, she developed the ability to be able to know and tell anyone what their you know day of death will be. And kind of spun this little horror story out of it. But the base story was truth, at least, you know, from what she had seen. Yeah. And was the reason she's here. And then Kevin picks up on that. He recognizes the name of Julia Jane because he's been studying the pictures. And so I love their little chat 
you know, Kevin and Alanka talking about that, and that's where she really admits to him, and we find for sure where you know it's confirmed that yeah, she literally is here at Brightcliff just chasing the possibility of whatever happened to Julia. It's a desperate stretch, but she wants to live, and it's something. And why not? Doesn't it's doesn't seem likely, but that's what she's clinging on to. Mm-hmm. I I was intrigued by that story of Julia Jane that she told, and I know that she said, in when she told the story, uh, she said that she had been gone for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, when she said she'd actually only been gone for a week. I mean, that's still a significant still, amount of time. Yeah. No one knew what happened to her, where she had been, um, and why all of a sudden she didn't have cancer anymore. Um, so just to tag on, because she's one of my points too, so I'll just add add to what you said for my next point, or for my first point. Um, so, and it's mostly questions, <laughs> is <laughs> what happened with this girl? Mm-hmm. You know, where did she go? How did she get cured? Why didn't she have cancer? If um, if doctors would probably just say, oh, well, you were probably just mis- misdiagnosed, you know, so they yeah. don't look dumb or something, you know, because you don't just get cured. You can go into remission, you know, but you don't really, at least from what I know, which is very little, and I'm not a doctor, um, you don't just cure cancer. Yeah. Um, you, you can go into remission but i feel like it's some yeah, level even remission is not like final like it right. can always come back from there too it's- exactly so it, it doesn't just go away um so what happened with her where did she go like how it seems um this bright cliff seems fairly isolated you know when mm-hmm. they're showing a uh, tim and ilanka driving there i mean it looks like they're fairly isolated you know quite quite a drive um i guess they're located in sacramento did they say where bright cliff was exactly like are they still in california no i don't think they did but um i think kevin said the name of like a town like a high school that he went to or like he uh, said a seattle uh hospitals where he was at so maybe maybe mm. it's up near seattle somewhere maybe in the pacific northwest somewhere Maybe and didn't didn't she say uh, Julia Jane was from Idaho or someone was from yeah, Idaho? Yeah, I think I think that was one of the yeah. Okay, I, I'm guessing then we're somewhere in on the West Coast and mm. it's in that like regional area. I'm guessing maybe someone from the East Coast may not have heard of Brightcliff because you're on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll assume it's somewhere in that general area. Um, but they looked. It, the the hospice itself looks fairly isolated, um, like there's not a lot around. So where did she go? She lost down the woods somewhere, guessing maybe something supernatural. I don't know. Why does she know when people die? Is that was that made up for her story, or do you think that? I don't. I, mean, I, guess I feel she, like that was just made up okay. uh, from Ilanka, as far as I know. Now who knows? That's true. <laughs> you why, know would what? She, why would she know that? Why would yeah. she know that? Yeah, she. There'd be no way that she would actually know that. She only knows. I guess what she read in the newspapers, but that was kind of creepy. I don't know if that was actually something that, because she, I know she's a really good storyteller because she's an English major and I know that she, uh, you know, she could be a really good writer and she's obviously very creative, 
but it's almost like she knows like it isn't mm-hmm. just a story so i don't know if that was you know maybe it was made up but i found it really interesting yeah. and if it was made up well then it was a really just great element i think to the story mm-hmm. i thought it made for a really good story um you know that she comes back and instead of obsessing like over her own date of death she's telling other people theirs and yeah. whether she knows it's their date of death or not um it's just creepy mm-hmm. uh and then so if julia is alive or and survived her can't well assuming she's still alive but if she if she survived her cancer will we meet julia i was wondering the same thing <laughs> i mean because the time frame that we're in it's if she really did was like like cured of cancer and really did survive it and move then she would you know very well likely still be alive it's not you know because she was admitted or you know went into brightcliff in 68 or 69 and so this is like early 90s so. 90, 95 <laughs> yeah, i believe mid, so yeah so i mean yeah very well so could she be could that be. she's still out there somewhere and i, I yeah. do wonder about that yeah, she could she could still be around, and so yeah, I wonder if we'll meet her and if she'll uh, come up in the future. Um, I'm intrigued uh, for sure about that story, and I I really loved Ilanka's take on the story, whatever was made up or whatever she uh, knew from facts. Um, in in her research and reading, I thought that was super cool, and I feel like they're not going to just drop that there without it meaning something and clearly that is something that's driven Ilanka there you know mm-hmm. um but i feel like it was almost more than that too which i'm sure we'll talk about but i am intrigued by this julia jane yeah Ho- hopefully we'll meet her or learn more about her cool well that was my first um point as well so what is your number two number four Four. Going two, backwards. Whatever Second it point. Is. Number yeah. four. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um another one that's kind of related in a way, but more more questions than than answers, but the living shadow and Ooh. the visions and dreams that Ilanka is having. Yeah. Uh I mean, aside from the typical effects of the cancer, which you know said the the kind of blackouts and fainting spells. Uh when she does pass out or even when she's just dreaming, when she's asleep, she is seeing these like visions of something, you know, they, they all kind of seem connected, obviously to Brightcliff. She recognized Brightcliff before she even looked it up. Yeah. Uh, we kind of get these characters. We get like when she first uh, at the, in the bathroom at the party, the first time she like coughs up blood and then faints. It's like kind of like an older, like dead man in the mirror, but then Ugh, she keeps like no eyes or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but now she keeps seeing this old woman, like on the bench in one of the dreams, or like in the hallway when she first gets there. Uh, and so with the connection of that, like woman and like these like ghosts or dead people, these spirits, and the connection to the living shadow and the other things that she's seeing, uh, she sees Kevin sitting on the bench before she ever meets him or even goes there. So that way when they show up and she sees the same kid she's seen in her visions sitting there in the same spot. So she's already seeing the things that she saw before she even looked up Brightcliff are coming true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course later when she's got that dream, you know, the, the ladies on the outside bench and the whole rest of the kids are all like dead at the library table at the meeting place, the midnight club. 
and there's this cloaked and hooded figure sitting at the head of the table that's got shadows coming out of the face of it, kind of like smoke, and that's <laughs> real creepy. And we also see some of that like hooded figure and stuff in the other earlier ones that's it's just got a lot of dark and occult kind of things, which very ominous and it. I wonder how much it ties into Rachel's uh, Wiccan symbols and stuff that she drew. Uh, but yeah, and then the other kids are talking about these living shadows while they're at dinner. There's all these interesting, creepy stories being shared around. <clears throat> and a lot of them are saying, you know, it's pretty easy to just chalk it up to, you know, they're all in their end of life. They're all on lots of drugs and medication. It's an old building. It's got a storied history. So, you know, there's all these things. But but I think what makes it more unique for Ilanka is that she started having these visions when she first got sick before she even realized, got her diagnosis, before she knew anything about this place. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then, of course, you know, it's not, you know, I think they gave us that little tease where it's like, is it in their minds? Is it this? Is it that? But then at the very, I mean, the way they ended this episode is when she walks out of the hallway to go back to bed or whatever, and then we see the shadow move on the wall to follow her right before credits. And you're like, oh, little tease. Here we go. Ooh. <laughs> Ugh. I mean, you, you could almost miss it if you weren't watching. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's <laughs> also one of my points. Because Anya said that Rachel, who was her roommate before, um, who died and had converted to Wiccan. Mm-hmm. I guess while she was there at the hospice is what I'm understanding. And I might be wrong, but just from what I'm hearing Anya say. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking, well, why did she convert to Wiccan while she was there? Um, you know, did something happen uh, while she was there? Cause it's, you know, there seems to be quite a history at bright cliff. Yeah. Um, I mean, there could be a, a very like, ir- you know, non-relevant, reason why but yeah, i mean alanka mentions that place. She, yeah she did her like research and studying a lot because she even stumped mark the <laughs> nurse practitioner a little bit on the history where yeah where she did mention that it also was a like religious cult compound at one point yeah so anya knew about rachel uh or she had told her that she felt like there was a quote living shadow that had followed mm-hmm. her around right up until she died. Was it something that she thought this, like this uh, converting to Wiccan would protect her in some way? Um, did she, if she's practicing, um, did she call something, you know, um, like a, something, um, not, I don't, Really want to say like demonic but maybe some kind of spirit did she call something and mm-hmm. maybe didn't mean to i don't know um, i'm guessing just being that place in general probably not but um, i just thought that was very creepy um out of all of the things that happened in here um that is probably one that unsettled me the most i wasn't um it's a for now it's the first episode but it's definitely this is a lot less scary than what I was expecting from something from Mike Flanagan, which yeah normally has some very scary undertones or very subtle uh, scary undertones. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Midnight Mass wasn't um, in your face scary. It was very subtle yeah. and, and downplayed. I mean, not that there weren't creepy moments. I mean, I'll never forget 
you know, that time someone looks out a window. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh huh. So it, it took a while for Midnight Mass to really get the scary stuff in, too. So, yeah, it wasn't but, like over, but it, in, it was there right yeah. away. It was definitely there. It had its moments, um, but that's what made it great because they were kind of subtle, you know, kind of underplayed a little. Um, they weren't like in your face or anything like that. But um, so I, I didn't quite get that from this episode, but that shadow thing there at the end uh, was like, oh, okay, yeah. I wish I wasn't watching this late at night with all the lights out. Um, <laughs> it's the best way to do it, though. It is. It It is. And I've, I've kicked myself so many times. I think I did it almost every time with Midnight Mass. Um, and especially <laughs> like during that scene and a few others that just really gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, why do I why do I do this? I did it with Haunting of Hell House, though, too, when we covered that. I, was, I remember watching episode, was it six? And everyone knows, I think, episode six, pretty sure that's the one in the car. Uh, And it was really dark, Mm -hmm. late at night. And I think I screamed from my bed uh, in the middle of the night um, (laughs) that episode. That's typically what I'm expecting from Mike Flanagan. So not quite there with this uh, series, and maybe we won't get there. But I thought that was a nice touch anyway. Um, So, yeah. curious what that was and did you see and this is more for my notes but talking about the end there as her and kevin are having that little exchange before they go to Mm -hmm. bed and you know he's like well i know who julie jane is i studied her picture i know her name or whatever didn't know really Mm -hmm. that much about her like she did but knew who she was referring to when he walks away and this is what i love about mike flanagan and his camera work We've talked mm-hmm. about it multiple times. Kevin walks away and he gets down to the end of the hall and he turns uh, left. Does he start crawling on the ground? He, I, I noticed it too. I, I <laughs> was I wondering. Like that it might have been, it might have been just like a little blocking, like editing error. Because I'm wondering what happened is because I know how TV shows and stuff are filmed. You're going to have to have multiple cameras in different places for. Uh, you know, different angles and setups. And I wonder if there was like a cameraman or a rig right there on the other side of that wall around so the corner of that hallway. And he was like ducking to get like the past the cameraman or, you know, whatever. Uh, and you caught just a little bit of that duck as he was walking up. That's what I was thinking maybe <laughs> happened. Cause I did catch it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to like rewind it a couple times. I'm like, am I just seeing things like I'm doing things like they do in, in cartoons, like rubbing my eyes. Like, am I right. seeing this right? Um, maybe, maybe it was just a, a gaff or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Like that's kind of what I would chalk it up to is it was probably the actor playing Kevin, I think Igby Rigney, I think, uh, just ducking out of the way of like some kind of crew member or equipment or something that was ready to shoot the next scene from behind or whatever. <laughs> that's, I mean, maybe I, I'm, I can't look it up. I can't go. Right. I can't look, I can't go Google anything, but, um, I'm interested to. Once we get to the end and start looking up all the Easter eggs and references and 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 something maybe about that because I am like is he crawling because they make a point to follow him all the way down right to the end of the hall so I'm like well it seems very intentional that we're still not primarily focusing on him because. Ilanka's in the shot too, and yeah. it shows her looking at the pictures on the wall. But it, you still have Kevin in the frame, and again, it just 
I felt like it was intentional that he was still in the frame. It wasn't like, oh, okay, well, I'm going off to bed. And he just goes off camera. Like, yeah. we know that he's gone. Like, we follow him uh, as he's walking down the hall and, and turning. And so maybe that part of him looking like he was crawling was unintentional. But I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's subtleties in Mike Flanagan's camera work, you know, yeah. that... Um, you should be looking at this, but really this back or up here or over here is going on in the background, you know, right. that's, you know, he, that happened a lot in Haunting of Hill House. So I don't know, but I was just like, I, I have to call it out. I don't know if, any, if yeah. I'm just seeing things. <laughs> so I feel like just... it might've been an error or just kind of like a, not even an error, but just, yeah, catching a weird like actor moment right? where he thought he was off camera and it got left in. Maybe. But knowing Flanagan, who's been so smooth the mm -hmm. whole time that now it is something i'm interested in i kind of keep that in my mind where if something comes up later in the series be like oh so it was it did mean something who knows um <laughs> yeah well and and because i feel like we've seen things like that before that i could just be picking it apart and looking for something that isn't there i mean i i'm totally uh you know, trying to be real with myself, like stop looking for things that, you know, that's, it's probably nothing. And, and we don't know because you, it, he's literally as he's walking, you know, around that corner. Um, it just like a very subtle, like you're just mm -hmm. making something out of nothing, but I mean, I, I can't help, but just wonder because <laughs> yeah. again, this, the subtleties and I'm like, then why is he still in the shot? Why are we still seeing right. him in the shot? He could have just, you know, said, Oh, I'm going to bed. And he, goes off camera there and we were just focusing on Alanka looking at the pictures it was just very weird <laughs> very <laughs> weird kind of moment if he crawls in the next episode then we're right gonna... he's just like crawling down the hall when those weird creepy Where's Kevin? oh he's crawling around on the ceiling it's what he does <laughs> I can't do that I can't do that Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. He has um, a weird strand of leukemia that gave him Spider-Man powers. It's fine. Um, no. It's so weird. He could shoot Webb out of his wrist. <laughs> not sure about him. <laughs> um, that's great. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm tagging on to yours because I feel like we're probably going to have a lot of the same points here. So that's, um, that was my next point. What is your uh, next point or your number three? All right. Uh, I'm sure you probably <laughs> might have it too. So we'll see. Because uh, it was it was kind of hard to pick five, like I mentioned. It was. It was. Oh man, it's... everything just kind of blended together, yeah. and I feel like I have more questions than really anything relevant to talk about because I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what this is, and I don't know what this means. So yeah. this was a challenging one for me. But uh, so my next point, I'm just call it the Midnight Club. Just like the name of the yeah. the, the show. We'll talk about every single thing that happened. No, uh, but speci <laughs> specifically the actual Midnight Club, uh, them meeting in the library at mm -hmm. midnight, uh, where, you know, after that last dream that Alonka had, it, it wakes her up for her in time to catch Anya sneaking away. And she follows her down to the library and then sneaks in after Kevin goes in and she's kind of secretly watching what's going on. Of course. Uh, <laughs> after Natsuki's stories, uh, she's definitely dropped something and, and, and alerts everybody. So when she's found out, then she has to tell a story and drink some wine in order to join in. You know, uh, 
nobody rides for free except for Shuri. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I, I did like some of the stuff with the Midnight Club. Of course, the first thing she's seeing as she's kind of watching is they like, it almost, it is like a meeting of a club where you're like, oh, let's pick up from last week or let's, you know, kind of like minutes. Uh, but then they have, and I don't know if they have something to drink every week, but, or day or, do they do it weekly? Do they do it nightly? I'm not sure. I'm I still. I, I don't think, they were clear on that, and if they were, then I yeah. missed it. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to wait and find out about that. I wasn't sure exactly the time frame. Is like every night at midnight, or is it like every Tuesday at midnight? I don't know. You know. Um, <laughs> but they they kind of open up their their time there to those before and those after, to us now and to those beyond, seen or unseen, here but not here. And I thought that was really cool. Of course, it's kind of the theme of the Midnight Club. Mm-hmm. You know, telling stories, making ghosts. Uh, most stories end up trying to scare each other, but then the big purpose of the club itself is that they have this pact that when a member dies, they must reach out from beyond to the others in some way to tell them what to expect. And so that little opening speech thing there is is for that to those before and after. So anybody who's was or is or will be a member of the Midnight Club, so that's at to us now and those beyond, as of those who've already passed away. Seen or unseen, here but not here. So maybe that. they are still here and they're trying to reach out to us. So I, I really do like that. I do too. Uh, of course, yeah, the the first story that we see is, yeah, picking up on a Natsuki's story. Um, and I like that with hers, she had, you know, the actor who plays Spence as kind of her main character and her in the place of like the the monster wraith thing, whatever. Uh, and so having our main cast as like characters in the stories that they tell. I hope that continues to be a thing throughout the series. <laughs> you know, yeah, is, I thought is that was wh- fun. Getting to see their stories they're telling played out using the like other cast members and stuff. I think that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. And really fun for the cast if they get to do it that way. That's cool. You know, play different parts within the same show just for fun. Uh, yeah, it would be fun. Yeah, so her story is this kind of typical supernatural horror weirdness uh, that really does, as Amesh puts it, at the end, finally devolved into a pile of bullshit jump scares, uh, which ends up actually being very hilarious. By the end, we're like, she's on the ground and she's up here and she's. Like, I was like, I was laughing watching it. Like it was just. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I th- especially I think- the cat. Like it, it, it got funny. <laughs> I, and I, and I think that's exactly the intent. For yeah, Mike Flanagan. Because if if y'all didn't know. This episode actually won the Guinness World Records for most jump scares in an episode. That's amazing. <laughs> at number 21. 21 jump uh, scares. And it's h- hilarious because um, Mike Flanagan actually intended intended it to be that way. And that was confirmed yeah. in a tweet. Um, someone tweeted it, Mike Flanagan, on Twitter. They said, at Flanagan Film, please tell me episode one of Hashtag Midnight Club is the one with all the jump scares. I don't think my well-being can take any more. And he said episode one is the one with all the jump scares, but they aren't scary. They're meant to be pretty ridiculous. Yes. Um, Apparently, (laughs) Mike Flanagan doesn't like jump scares, and this is his way of trolling. um, Although he's done it before on these shows to us. Oh, yeah. We've we've talked... (laughs) Without spoiling it, we've talked about right. a few in, in a couple of other shows. He, But he does yeah. them well. But I, I like yeah. that. I don't know if, if maybe he was getting... I'd, I'd have to look more. I'm, again, I'm 
I'm scared to look too deep. These are just things I saw that were non-spoilery that I was okay to look yeah. at. But um, I don't know if he was getting pushed from either like a network or Netflix or someone to like more jump scares. We want more. And he's like, okay, I'll give them to you in like the most ridiculous <laughs> way ever. Yeah. Um, so if that was his intent, uh, then I love that. But I, I, I do think um, that's where it, it, it had come from. So he did yeah. actually mean for that to be ridiculous because. Oh, yeah. It, I figured. Yeah. I mean, it's that's the whole thing is this like because I love Spence is like the critic where he's like, you know, the mm-hmm. first jump scare and he's like lazy writing. <laughs> like, that's lazy storytelling. <laughs> and then like it just gets to the point where it's like, <laughs> yeah, constant jump scares. And he was like, this is getting stupid. <laughs> like. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love Mike uh, Flanagan. I love that that's what he did because I, before I knew that, like I knew, I knew before I watched the episode that it had gotten this Guinness World Record um, mm-hmm. for the most jump scares. So I was like, oh shit, you know? Um, so I was like taking it seriously. And then whenever uh-huh. I was watching it, I was like, uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this does not have the same effect as right. what I've usually know um from mike flanagan's jump scares um when he when he puts them out there and then later saw this someone pointed out that tweet and i was like ah okay good job mike um i approve which it it serves kind of as like a a commentary in a way of certain horror movies and things that Mm -hmm. when you do overuse this jump scare trope way too much it does cheapen the effect and the whole value of it overall for sure Absolutely. Use them sparingly and cleverly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. I I'm interested in the in the club too. I like the the idea of it. Uh, I I like that the, the characters or the kids are the characters, or they use them as their imagining and telling the stories. So I, I like that. Yeah. Nice. Um. Well, my next point, we, we've talked a little bit about her, but meeting Alanka there in uh, the opener, I was very intrigued by her character. Uh, I could relate to her in a way as my young teenage self, because we find out the year was 1994. <laughs> That's the year I graduated high school. And this was the year uh, Alanka was graduating from high school, and she's practicing uh-huh. her salutary in, uh, speech. And she's dyed her hair red in her kitchen, uh, or sorry, her bathroom sink. And I absolutely loved it. She's got all the piercings. I absolutely love that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this girl is a girl after my own heart. She's wearing the typical 90s like slip dress with the uh, denim jacket. Uh, and oh, was she wearing Doc Martens? I think she was wearing Doc Martens. And I'm like, I love this girl, uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, she is a huge fan of Mary Shelley. Um, the mm-hmm. author of Frankenstein, and admires Mary Shelley and all that she's accomplished at such a young age. And you get, you learn that she is like this super smart girl. Like she is young, like she's a year ahead of everyone, right? Like she, she was able to skip a year um, and already graduate from high school. She's on the Ivy League uh, path. Uh, and she's really smart and she loves English and stories. And so you get the sense that, you know, she does like, I, I'm guessing if she loves Mary Shelley, it's not just for Mary Shelley, but she also does love the, um, I think the story of Frankenstein and what's behind that story. 
but also mm-hmm. just of Mary Shelley and all that she's accomplished at such a young age because she wants to be able to do the same. She wants to be able to accomplish all of these things. Like she, I feel like she's got this list of things that she wants to do, right, um, and, and accomplish. And then she gets her cancer diagnosis, and that kind of immediately puts a halt on all of those plans. Yeah. Um, and it was just really, this show is, you know, just already um, meeting these kids, knowing that these kids are all um, terminally ill and at a hospice. I mean, it's dark. And I know kids get sick every day, but it, it's, it, it's hard to watch, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's really heartbreaking when she has all of these dreams, these aspirations. She's wants to go to college and she's super smart. She's worked so, so hard to get there. Uh, and then she gets this cancer diagnosis and she's like, and she takes it first. I mean, of course it's devastating, but she's like, okay, well, how long is this treatment going to take? Because I'm going to college in the fall, you yeah. know? Uh, so she's like trying to not let it uh, delay her plans. And they're like, well, you know, uh, may not go as you plan uh, for it to. And then mm-hmm. it jumps ahead to the 1995 and um, you realize that she's in, hos- in the hospital uh, still going through her treatment and that she has obviously missed college. Um, and you can see how much that's affected her. So I'm really yeah. fascinated by her character. It sounds like she's been um, pretty straight-laced, hasn't gotten into a lot of trouble, taken a lot of risks. You know, she's being encouraged by her stepdad to, how about you go break some rules for once? So I, I'm curious if this, now being at this hospice and being at this bright cliff place with these other kids, if she's going to start pushing her boundaries a little bit more, um, especially now that she, she's, she has this um, diagnosis maybe that will be something that yeah. also drives her to take more risks and get out of her comfort zone a little more but i i really like her character i'm really fascinated with her I, i'm really intrigued by her i think she's um very smart and um i can definitely uh, at least relate to her um her hair and clothing choices <laughs> and <Yeah. her> <laughs> I'm not, I won't say I'm as smart as her. So I didn't want to say that because that's not <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, I like her character. All the characters yeah, are pretty sure. great, but being introduced to her um, was super cool. And I was definitely drawn in by her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What is your next point? Yeah, uh, same as far as, you know, I'm very drawn into her. So it's, it's, it's my turn to say, well, that's what I had as a point. So I'll tack oh. on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've gone around. Um, <laughs> No, that's great. I love it. Uh, yeah, is, is meeting her and seeing, you know, that she has so much for her. Like you said, you know, salutatory and she's giving the speech or she's preparing for it. But, you know, and even that her, her dad, I guess, from what I gather, it's foster parents. She had foster parents as her foster mom and dad, I think. Um, yes, that's what I so, was able to piece together. Yeah. So Tim was a foster. And then I think it was both because then she just when Tim is talking, cause she calls him Tim. Mm-hmm. And then whenever they talk about the the mother figure in her life, you know, he's always, well, Maggie, Maggie, Maggie. So I think it was a, she may have even been like fostered in a little later in life to where they weren't like mom and dad to her. They were Tim and Maggie. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it seems that Alonka lost her, her foster mother to cancer as well. I'm basing it off just like the pictures that she was putting up when she got to Brightcliff in there. Cause uh, it looked like her mother, you know, was like balding, you know, it was bald and had like a bandana on and, and things. <clears throat> in one of the pictures and 
So I wondered if kind of that was a similar thing, which if that's the case, like, man, poor Tim. Um, no kidding. Losing his wife and then and his foster daughter to the, you know, similar thing there, whether it's not, I don't know, the same form of cancer, but still cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, so she goes to that party <laughs> right before she coughs up blood and realizes something's wrong. She's totally hitting off with that Brian guy. Uh, like, yeah. Kind of to, you know, he was like, where have you been all semester? And I was thinking, <laughs> high school? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> under age. <laughs> uh, yeah, so getting the, the diagnosis. And she is, uh, you mentioned that she's a chronic optimist. As far as, you know, she talks about why, you know, I gradu- I'm graduating a year early and I was in the top two, f- you know, two fifths of, you know, the 1% or whatever. And she's just like, I'm good with odds. Tell me what my odds are and I can beat them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I love her optimism at the beginning. So then it makes it even more heartbreaking, of course, when she's on the phone with her friend, which seems, you know, things have gotten a little distant. Just yeah. it's hard because they were planning going to college together. And next thing she's here and that's that's what's going on. And she's having to kind of live vicariously through her friend, just telling her, oh, college is awesome. Too bad you're not here. Right. Uh and and so then it's just adding on. And then, of course, that's when she overhears the doctor talking to Tim about her terminal diagnosis, saying, you know, we've we've run everything we can and it's just not working. Uh, and, and that was hard for me to watch. Uh, cancer is a pretty big deal in my life, personal life. I've lost many family members to it, including my own mother. Uh, mm. So I knew that this show is going to be an emotional uh, spot for me, uh, for sure. Yeah. You know, seeing the picture of, of her, of, of Maggie or whatever with that bandana. And I was like, man, there's my mom right there, you know? Aww. So I've, so I was like, yep, this one's gonna, this one's gonna get me good. Isn't it? Awesome. Thanks, Mike Flanagan. Uh, <laughs> I said I was ready for you to hurt me again, but uh, you're really bringing in the big guns this time. Way to go, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> he does it. Yeah. But, but I, I really, yeah, kind of just to kind of echo what you said is the character of Alanka, I think is. I mean, somebody I can relate to to one point. I mean, again, <laughs> haven't gone through cancer myself, but I mean, just understanding the ramifications of, of a cancer diagnosis and a terminal diagnosis and what that means for a family and the things that that does to just the way you plan and do everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm interested to see this goes and I, I'm glad or I, I enjoy her as kind of a main character to focus on. And I. And I think the the actress is incredible what she's doing so far. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry about your mom. Um, but yeah, I I agree. She's intriguing, and I'm curious because yeah, Tim is her foster father, and she no longer has her foster mother. I'm curious how long. It seems they have a really great relationship, so I, it feels yeah. like she's maybe been with them for a little while. I'm guessing because mm-hmm. they seem seem pretty at ease and he really does care for her and look after her so i'm curious what and it may not be important to the story at all and it may not even matter uh it's just more for my curiosity and my question is i'm curious how how she got to be there in a foster home like what happened to mm-hmm. what happened to her in her life that she's in a foster home to begin with right and because it seems like she mentions about brightcliff that uh Sounds like most of the kids that are there are like foster kids. They're on their own or don't yeah. have families. And it's, it's curious. It's like, well, why is that? 
I mean, maybe not everyone, that one Sherry girl, which again, everybody's like, well, we don't really know anything about her. Uh, you know, she's, right. they're like, well, she, she came here with moving trucks and a nanny and a Bentley. And then she says, again, if you want to believe anything that she does say, that her father's a big producer or whatever. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's just interesting that that, that place seems to, to house kids with no real families or whatever. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense to a degree. I mean, you think it, uh, Alonka being there kind of is outside of the norm mm-hmm. in a way that, I mean, because a, a lot of, you know, kids in terminal situations, either, you know, they're going to ride it out at the hospital and do everything they can till the last minute. Or if it gets to that point where there's nothing more they can do and they, they don't want to waste the expenses and the time and effort, then they just kind of stay at home with their parents and and live it out that way. Mm-hmm. So So it is interesting to have kids who have parents and have people and guardians there with them and they're still here at this place yeah she's she's interesting so i'm looking forward to learning more Mm -hmm. um oh it's up to me now okay um Uh i was trying to think oh whose turn was it um (laughs) so brightcliff hospice while we're talking about it again mostly questions here uh i'm intrigued she mentioned that this place was fully funded and i'm like how that's who's funding it where where do they get their funding you know uh they might not be providing treatments expensive treatments because it's a hospice you're typically not being treated you're just being provided it sounds like drugs to Mm -hmm. whatever drugs that you need but yeah just quality of life quality of life right so but that's not inexpensive and then there's mm-hmm. food uh you got to keep the lights on you've got to pay the staff that work there um so i'm i'm makes me curious how is this fully funded where mm-hmm. how was it started who started it and how do they get their funding because that's not cheap um so again more questions really and then what happened there we get that history that you mentioned earlier i'm really curious about the history of the place uh, because Alanka does keep getting this like deja vu um, before she's even there. She sees Kevin on the bench. She keeps seeing this old lady. She sees some guy with no eyes, kind of blood coming out of his eyes. Um, this classical music keeps playing mm-hmm. um, and she's fainting. And again, it could be from her illness. I mean, that's legit, you know, uh, but is there something else going on um, and something that drew her to there? She sees. Uh, images of Bright Health, or sorry, I'm thinking of something else, Bright Cliff <laughs> Hospice, um, before she gets there. So what happened there? Um, it was mentioned that it was a halfway house during the Great, Great Depression. Uh, there was a cult <laughs> <laughs> called the Paragon. Um, they called Bright Cliff home in the 40s. And we don't know anything about the cult or anything yeah. like that. But I feel like anytime, I mean, that, that definitely piques my interest. I'm so fascinated with cults. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, you know, that that's intriguing. So it seems like that there's something like supernatural. There's something, something going on here. Like, and, and it seems very ritualistic. You know, we, we keep getting this image of a person in this like hooded robe. Um, and they're doing like this weird thing with their hands. Looks very like when um, there's that image of all the kids at the table and they all look 
passed out or something in their chairs. And then there's this image of this person. We see them a couple times. Um, so something weird uh, is going there. So I, I want to know what. <laughs> I know I have to keep watching, <laughs> but I'm just very intrigued about this house. And I, I'm scared to look, but I thought I saw someone mention, and I don't know that it's confirmed, uh, but I heard that that house, that Brightcliff Hospice house, uh, was this same house used for lock and key. Really? Yeah. Now, obviously, changes. Yeah. But I think a lot of lock and key, I think a lot of the additions and bigger pieces of that house might have just been CGI. Um. <laughs> could be. Could be. I, I'm scared to go looking too hard for it. I tried to look up very like lightly, do some very light digging because I'm like, well, surely mm-hmm. that's not going to throw me into too many spoilers. Right. Because I was trying to be very right. specific in my search. But uh, I thought, oh, I need to confirm this. So. Again, that's unconfirmed. What I what I ended up finding was just uh, filming locations for Midnight Club, which was in Vancouver. Apparently, they were along that uh, uh, Vancouver area a lot for a lot of the filming, but it didn't tell me specifically about the house. Um, but that's what I did see someone uh, say, and I'm like, well, I need to confirm that. But I just thought that was interesting. It's like we literally just covered Lock and Key. And if that's the same house right. in this uh, show, that would be super, uh, super fun tie-in. So I, I just want to learn more about this place. Who's funding it? Where do they get their money? What's all that shit that happened there that's making it all freaky, giving it that creepy vibe? So. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that now to see if. Yeah, if that is the same house, that would be really if cool. You, yeah, if you find <laughs> out for sure, uh, like I said, I'll try and, and do a little bit more digging, but I'm trying to just be very careful, obviously, um, so I don't get yeah. spoiled. I did a quick Google search myself right there while I was listening to you. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's, it is tough because I just, if you type like Midnight Club Lock and Key, you're like, it should be pretty basic. But then mm-hmm. any of the posts, like I was like, maybe, but. If I click on any of these articles, they start talking about the show. And I'm like, oh, God, no, you can't do that. I know. So, yeah, it's tough. Slippery slope there. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm throwing that out there. I'll try and get it confirmed. If not uh, soon, then at least hopefully by the end when it's safe to just go balls out, you know, right. <laughs> looking at things. Um, so maybe more to come. But I just thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, well, that would be cool. Wherever mm-hmm. that little news tidbit came from. Um, so. Um, it's your turn. Is this our last yeah. last one? Yeah. Okay. This last what one I've got. You got one. Uh, you're talking about Brightcliff Hospice. I'm gonna talk about the kids of Brightcliff. Yeah. The patients of Brightcliff. Uh. So yeah, a lot. I mean, I I liked this cast. Not necessarily all of them. I'm gonna talk about, but maybe <laughs> so, uh, pointing out a few that I really some, enjoyed. Some are know, more likable of, than others, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh. But so, so pulling on the, the the few that I really enjoyed for one reason or another, and I thought were really cool members of the cast here, and then just you know characters and see the you know their stories. Of course, mentioned yeah when Alanka first arrives at Brightcliff, she finds Kevin right on the cliffside bench listening to music where she envisioned him to be, um, and they have that first like really nice little introduction and chat with each other. The only way I can sum up the character of Kevin, I was like, Kevin is, for the lack of any better word, adorable. Um, he is. <laughs> that's really just like how him. that's like, that's the word I come up with. I'm like, he's just adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's just something about him. He's just 
like got this like very sweet, kind charm to him. And he just like seems like the person like no matter what's going on, however shitty anything is, he's like, he's the person that's going to listen and talk like that's just the vibe you get from him. Like he's just there for people. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I like him, too. Um, I do like Spence a lot, too. Uh, he's the one giving the tour, so we get a lot of him. Uh, very dark humor, which most of the kids here at Brightcliff have. Uh, I think you kind of you kind of have to to cope, right? You You're cope. surrounded by mm-hmm. nothing but death and reminders of your mortality every second of every day. You have to laugh at it to keep your sanity, yeah. you know? Uh, and we really get that with him. I and mean, he's joking about, you know, how some of the kids believe in ghosts of the, you know, past patients. And he's hoping that, you know, whenever he dies, he gets to be a entry level poltergeist so he can fuck with people, mm-hmm. you know? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I like his attitude. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I, I like that a lot. Um, Amesh, I thought was really funny. He had some really great moments. The whole hazing thing, you know, there is no hazing, but he kind of wanted there to be because he didn't get to call it again, didn't get to go to college the same as Alanka. He tries messing with her a little bit with the elevator thing, but then the realization on everybody, you know, that the morgue is in the basement. And when Alanka realizes that it got kind of heavy and Amesh immediately is like, Oh, that's why you don't haze people. It's just mean. And he's like, remind me to thank everyone for not actually hazing me. Like, <laughs> I thought it was a really funny little moment there. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, which Spence then mentions that the elevator is haunted and moves up and down at night on its own. That's not foreboding at all, is it? No, uh, not at all. Maybe a little foreshadowing, maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I am glad that there's actually a really good bit of humor in this show. Yeah. Because even us as the viewers, we need the laughs. Or I feel that the subject material is going to be just way too depressing. So I'm glad that there's a lot of humor injected. Yeah, we need it. I mean, ki- kids <laughs> having terminal illnesses, it's dark enough. It's nice mm-hmm. to have, like you said, the infusion of some of the humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we mentioned uh, Shuri, this pathological liar, it seems, <laughs> with a very wealthy family. Uh, I'm very curious about more of her story. I really am. Like, who is she? Her Why is she story, here? Her real story, yeah. Gonna... Right. Yeah. Do we find out with a real story of Shuri? <laughs> she doesn't uh, seem very open at all. People are kind of, like, giving her shit, and she's just kind of sitting there smiling, like, mm, yeah, yeah. like, she just you know, kind of rolls with it. She's she did have a great... It. She had a great joke of her own that I think based off of her reaction to other people laughing at it, I think she knew it was a joke. So it wasn't her just being like out, you know, she made a great joke or something when somebody when they were at dinner. And, you know, they're talking about the hospice and he goes, wait, she goes, wait, this is a hospice. My dad said it was a boarding school. (laughs) And and I I love that one. So, I mean, she she fits in with the humor and, the you know, but. But yeah, but she doesn't really let anybody know who the real her is because she's just going to make up a bunch of stories like that. You know, Sheree has millions of stories, just none at the club. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, we talked about, you know, the pentagrams and Wiccan symbols and stuff under all the furniture in the bedroom, which is quite unsettling. And then when when we meet Anya says it was Rachel, the former, uh, former occupant of that room who recently passed, that she got deep into some major witchcraft stuff. Um, which I honestly, I've, I've seen some people online just talking about this first episode. TV time's a good place to go episode by episode without spoilers ahead. Uh, <laughs> I've said it before, but, uh, some people were like very like downing Anya a lot saying she's way too negative and she's like, mm-hmm. just like aggressive and she's mean and they don't like her. And I was like, honestly, I really like Anya. She kind of my, one of my favorites, like 
because she she's so sarcastic and yeah she's a little callous but i think you know and i can dig in because i i work with kids not younger than she is but i i I work with a lot of kids that have social and and traumatic things and and so i'm already kind of like armchair diagnosing her as i'm seeing the way she kind of acts and jokes and jabs at people and i'm Mm -hmm. like I mean, it's got to be like a psychological fear of getting close to people that drives her to be that way, you know? Sure. Attachment's a hard thing to do in a place like this. Yeah. And so her way of, of combating that is just to to be bitey, you know? Yeah, uh, keep everyone at like <laughs> arm's length. Don't get too close right. because either she's going to be, die- you know, she'll be the one to die, which they're all terminal, but, uh, or yeah, uh, opening herself up and then losing uh, like if she becomes really good friends with someone. So maybe it's her. And also it's really hard to judge someone for how they're coping when they're, they are terminal. I mean, yeah. it's hard to, to be too harsh with her when she has a terminal illness. Um, you know, I'm not saying it gives you an excuse to be a jerk or anything, but I don't think she's being a jerk. I do, you know, she, she's a little brash, uh, but, uh, She's got a very blunt and cutting sense of sarcastic humor. Right. That's what it is. Right. Uh, I mean, like the whole, like we would talk about Rachel is like, you know, oh yeah, the last night that she was, you know, you know, she like built it up to make it all scary. It's like, and then she died. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, or again with Rachel, she had one, the probably the funniest line in the episode that I literally had to like pause it. And I was like laughing, cracking, cracking up was at that dinner again, Anya is when they're talking about Rachel and she goes and the whole witchcraft thing if cancer didn't take her out someone was going to drop a house on her and I- <laughs> <laughs> man <laughs> so yeah so I've seen some people doubting Anya online I'm like no I'm team Anya I think she's hilarious and <laughs> and I feel like uh, kids with that attitude you their tough exterior tends to break down eventually right. and you they become one of your favorite people so mm-hmm. i usually you know really get those t- types of people cuz i'm like you know i feel like that's probably just like your mask it's a facade you know it's it's yeah. your protection and wall mm-hmm. if you will so i feel like there's something behind that so yeah i Definitely. i don't i don't mind her at all yeah so it's interesting kind of getting the tour and her meeting and, you know, Alanka meeting all of these, these people one at a time. And you kind of get this, it is a motley crew of characters. They are very, yes, you know, very unique and very different. Uh, they each have their own personality that really set them apart. But, you know, you kind of feel like with Alanka, you're kind of out of place. You're like, man, does she belong here? Do these, you know, do it. Will she get along with these people? Because they all have such vastly, wild personalities and it's just is this someplace she fits but then with the midnight club like i said she gave that story and she really found her place and i think that after that first night in the club with her telling her story and talking to them and i think everyone likes her a lot mm-hmm. even anya anya's not going to admit it but i think she does you know yeah she won't <laughs> say so but yeah i think you're right <laughs> yeah i agree i think she she did her thing and she played it really well. She's like, I'll tell you the end of that story. You know, if you, you know, tell me like, what's, you know, what, what this is all, you know, about or what it's really about. And, um, I think she played her cards really well. And I, I, I see her become, becoming a part 
of the group or club yeah very quickly because i like how she was like i'll even join your pact she's like if i'm the first to go then i will i will stand against that veil and i will scream and yell and wail and I will say, you know, I will scream to you the truth. And then, you know, they're all like clinging onto her words mm-hmm. and like looking at it. And then Anya, again, with the great one liner, is just like, you don't have to be so you know, dramatic <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny coming from her because she's <laughs> very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, she, I, I know we already said it, but Alanka was, I mean, I was captivated. She's a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to if like if this is I feel like that's what's gonna happen, right? Probably most episodes is we're gonna get a new new story. So I, I think so. I hope so. I'm excited. I'd like to I'd like because then it's like I said, it's a way to kind of branch out outside of just the main story of this and just get some fun horror thriller tropes yeah. in these little stories that the kids are telling. Some side stories. And kind of get these side stories that don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And then I hope they continue to cast those kids, like cast members as different characters in those stories and just some extra fun stuff to watch. And I didn't, um, I had not read this book by Christopher Pike. Are you, have you read this book or any other books? I have not. Okay. No, I was not familiar with him. Uh, well, (laughs) until the show started and then he's back from my day, Pike. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, not that that means anything because, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. You, you can be introduced to, to you know, older things um, yeah. you know, or whatever. But yeah, it's, I think, typically back in my day. <laughs> that yeah, Christopher but I know Pike talking with popular. with Daphne, my, for those listeners, not Rima, that don't know, <laughs> my, my other uh, co-host of my other podcast. Uh, and I think she left some feedback for this one for this week. We'll get to later. Oh, good. Uh, that, yeah, she had read it. And so she was kind of familiar with it. So she was excited to find out about it, this adaptation and stuff. So. But yeah, you know, I I I don't know anything about the source material, so no idea what to expect. I'm look, I I I tore through books back in the day. Uh, you know, I had a not great home life and um was home a lot. So books books from the time that I can remember, since I could read, uh, you know, and five years old, hiding in the library all the time. Uh, books have always been my escape, and. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've probably read some Christopher Pike because I've always been a lover of horror, you know, genre mm-hmm. and horror books and young adult books back in the day. So I know I haven't read this one because it does not strike a chord or any familiarity with me at all. But I, uh-huh. I feel like I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I've probably picked up a Christopher Pike book or two back in the day. I, I will not say that I've read all of them, but I feel like, yeah, I know I had to have read um some of his books so um i was just curious since that's kind of what this is based off of and i think that that's what happens in so i don't know anything about it but just again hearing about what the book was about before the show aired was it i guess that's kind of what happens in the book is a lot of stories are are being exchanged so i guess that's what we could expect i don't know hopefully that's not too spoilery um but who knows because sometimes shows veer off a little bit from their source material um do you think and this is could be just completely far out there but i'm really curious do you think one of the kids there in the club is already dead and they're honoring the pact that would be such a (laughs) 
such a cool twist that you know it's one of those things like i did i've, I've thought about like you know because at this point with seeing what flanagan's done it's like okay what's the what what crazy twist are you just like dangling in front of us that we're we're not seeing mm-hmm. you know because i want to i mean he does have leukemia but kevin does look quite pale um <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i don't know wouldn't that be <laughs> maybe fun? he is some spider-man crawly ghost who knows uh <laughs> he crawls when no one's looking he's a right <laughs> it, it would be an ghost. interesting twist for sure if it does happen they'd be like ah oh, rima you spoiled it and called it so early but no nah, uh, i hope but it would be interesting I, hope not, yeah. but I think i think it would be a, a fun interesting but i was like oh there's you know i mean it sounds like that club they don't know when it started but they act like oh well it's been going on for quite some time and you know kids have died did anyone make it make it back make it through and honor the pact that would be fun um mm. well my last point i want to talk about dr stanton this is a really quick more probably like a note than it is um a whole point i don't have a whole lot to say but how cool is it to see the awesome heather langen camp nancy <laughs> nancy <laughs> i i really love her uh as a you know original nightmare on elm street uh fan from back mm-hmm. in the day, I've loved her, and I love when she pops up in random shows or movies. I, I think she's great, and I, I really love that they've uh, incorporated her in this show. Yeah. I, I'm curious about her character. Uh, I was really intrigued by what she was saying when she's talking about uh, Bright Cliff, how she sees that facility you know, as a place for teens to not have to keep fighting their illnesses, but provides a safe place for them, as she puts it, permission to leave the battlefield. Right. And to be able to go out on their own terms. Yeah. Uh, And I, I, I really like that because probably a lot of kids don't feel like they have a choice. It's always, you know, parents, caregivers, um, doctors or some authoritarian, right? Always kind of telling kids what they can or can't do. And I feel like that this gives them a little agency, maybe that gives them a choice and a say in going out in their own terms. You know, like if you, you know, are, are ready to, as she, she says, you know, leave the battlefield um, you can kind of go out with that dignity, you know, and you can also go mm-hmm. out and be among your peers. You know, I, I think it's as macabre as what it is. And I think just so, you know, dwelling on it too long, thinking, oh, my gosh, here's this group of kids and they're all terminal, you know, knowing that, you know, they're going to die and die really soon and die at a young age. They're not going to get to live their life. You know, it's so sad. It's a sad thought. But um, I think to be able to be with other kids your age going through the same thing, you know, clearly different illnesses, but, you know, they're all knowing that they're all terminal um, mm-hmm. and and kind of leaning on each other, I think, is a really interesting um, idea. And so I'm really intrigued by her character and curious how long she's been there. Uh, she's older, so I don't know if she was, you know, there since its inception when she I, I couldn't remember if she said that she's the one that started yeah. it or if well i think when when mark is kind of first giving the tour when he's talking about it was this before and then it was this <clears throat> and he said until stanton bought it in the oh, okay. 60s okay so, totally yeah. okay thanks yeah i 
again, sleep deprived. Um, that makes sense then. So interesting. I like her. Um, I'm intrigued by her. Curious what she knows or doesn't know about yeah. the happenings. This weird, because I feel like something weird is going on there. Um, and if she knows um, anything about that and if, how that will play a part. But I like her and I love uh, Heather, Heather Langenkamp. Mm-hmm. I think she's awesome. Um, and that's it. Nice. I got. Do you have any notes? Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I've got a few little just random uh, notes. Let's see. Uh, Matt Bedell. It's good to see him again. Uh, he was we, we had him in Midnight Mass as Sturge, which was Bev Keen's kind of right hand man. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the, without going into no spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Midnight Mass. But if you haven't, how dare you go watch it? Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I so I like the role of, of Tim for him. He's uh it's good, it's good to see him. I, I like him. Uh, probably the moment with him that broke me the most where I was just crying. Because um, mm. there's so many tears in the setup scenes. You know, the first like 15 minutes of this episode was just really trying to stomp on my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the line. Uh, but yeah, the the conversation between Tim and uh, Alanka where he says, you know, I promised Maggie I would take care of you. And when Alanka says, and you did. You did so good, Tim. I was bawling. I <laughs> man. Uh, so I mentioned Mark, the nurse practitioner, but uh, yeah, Zach Guilford, we got him back. Uh, Mark's already very different from Riley, uh, yes. for sure. <laughs> Again, make another Midnight Mass reference. Ah, uh, him as Riley in Midnight Mass. I hope we get I more like of him. I mean, Mark, the nurse practitioner, is a very different character for him. <laughs> yeah, don't know anything about him yet, but I was so excited when we learned. You know, so so many of our favorites were from Midnight Mass and and other Flanagan mm-hmm. works. Uh, we're going to be uh, here in this one. Um, mm-hmm. It was great to see him. Not enough of him. I I just got a thing for Zach Guilford. I guess I just think he's great, and uh, I hope we get more. Yeah, I was not really aware of him much. I mean, I the things that he's most known for, I didn't watch. Uh, you watch Friday Night so, Lights? No, I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's like based native? on like where I, I live. I know, um, but no, I just I never did. Uh, so like Midnight Mass was really my first like big introduction to his work, and he like blew me oh, away yeah, as, as Riley on the there. So yeah. So I'm excited to see him again and see hopefully you know what he if he has anything really big to do with this show. It seems right now he's a very small bit part, but I expect with that casting and that he, he he's he's going to be there for something. I mean, use him because I almost said something and nearly spoiled Midnight Mass. Um, <laughs> right. But he was so great in Midnight Mass. I mean, holy cow, the depth that he brought yeah. to that character of Riley. Um, I mean, I knew he was great from Friday Night Lights, but. He really, like you said, blew me away in Midnight Mass. So please, I hope they use him um, mm-hmm. in, in this. You know, I mean, yeah, it's only the first episode, so it's hard to judge so far. But I hope they do use him because he's fantastic. Yeah. Great actor. And then random, completely off of, off the reservation, <laughs> tangent note, uh, because I watch with captions and subtitles on on my second watch with notes. Yep. 
these captions were terrible. Um, all yes, way they off were. on some they things. Were way off. They like don't even make sense. Like changing words. Like uh, the ones that I really like mentioned is like during the midnight club stuff. Uh, when when uh, Natsuki says, you know, turning this harmless cat into a, in a homeless cat is what changed to, or when again Natsuki turning to uh, a mesh and saying quiet you and it says I hate you and it's like whoa whoa <laughs> captions <laughs> very it's taking it a step far uh, yeah but like it was like it was like it was like listen it was like automatic subtitles that was like trying to transcribe what it was hearing them say it, it's like and your um voice to text when you're exactly when you're- <laughs> it was like a voice to text thing. and it's like you missed a lot because there were some some of them that were just weird and i was like that's definitely not what they said mine also- like when, uh, when anya is like you know uh you know it's hard to scare people who've already had you know the worst news in the world to them and then it was just like uh it's not an easy task or something she says. And the caption was like, they're an easy task. And it's like, you just changed the meaning of that sentence. Um. <laughs> I think I even had some words that didn't have a space between them. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I can get it. Like I can read that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, there's not even a space there. Like what happened? Um, mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I hope Netflix fixes that. Cause I, based off of I know, watching I, this first episode, maybe since we'll only do like one a week, we'll have some time. They can figure it out. Because I like my captions with my notes on the second watch. But man, some of them, I was like, that is not what they just said <laughs> at all. And I rely <laughs> on them, especially if someone has either is someone really quiet and I have trouble mm-hmm. hearing exact like, wait, what did they say? Or if someone has a heavy accent of some type and I'm kind of struggling uh-huh. to cut now, wait a minute, what did they say? Um, and, and I, Hey, that might be important. And so I do, I also, um, tend to watch, especially my second watch with captions too. a lot of my shows. Um, so I, while I'm taking notes, so I can really like, Oh, that character said this. Right. And yeah, that, 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 I, I definitely some gross errors <laughs> that, yeah. that, I, that I've seen considering how many shows we do watch with captions that I'm like, wow, right. somebody like really <laughs> dropped the ball here. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny though. There's a lot of spaces. My daughter would go bananas because that's so she's like she's an um well she didn't graduate with an English degree but she first had an English major and it's um English is extremely important to her. She's a grammar queen <laughs> and she's uh you know always correcting punctuation and grammar and if uh-huh. she had seen that she would be it would just like trigger her OCD I think. <laughs> I thought of her, I was like, oh, she would hate this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so random note, but that was funny. the last note I had. But it was just something I was like, I had to make make note of it because I was like, God, these captions are... It's terrible. Not good. It's terrible. <laughs> Why? I don't know if... I don't know anything about how that works for shows mm-hmm. and who does it and, and how it all works behind the scenes. But I was a little curious because I, I did not watch... The Midnight Club straight away as soon as it came out. I had to prep for mm-hmm. um, other shows, so I was like, "Okay, well, I've got time. I'll I'll wait till it's a little bit closer for my first like fan watch." But I remember mm-hmm. I had to go on Netflix anyway for something, and you know, typically when, especially something as big as like a Mike Flanagan show, when you turn on Netflix, yeah. it's right there, like out today, uh, you know, um, and it's focusing on that show and. 
I couldn't find Midnight Club. I had to like search. Yeah, I had to go to the search. Yeah, and I watched it like two a.m. when it dropped last week or whatever. But but yeah, I had to go to the search to find it. It wasn't like home screen. Here it is. Exactly. Hoping it would be. I thought that was interesting because um, then again, just a day or two later, going on Netflix, they're showing all the other and maybe it's because it's october spooky season you know everybody's looking for something scary Mm -hmm. to watch but i was just kind of scrolling through because i'm like where is midnight club why aren't they showing it why aren't they why isn't it like on this premiere card or or, um you know when you turn on netflix it's not on that front page uh but you can see if you scroll through and it'll say like the only on netflix section it says uh haunting of hill house bly manor midnight mass and i'm like well, well where's midnight club where's the new one i was you like should that's... be promoting the most yeah and i'm like that's just it was just strange to me that uh it wasn't getting a little bit of love and that you had to actually like i had to go actually to the search and type in midnight yeah. club to find it um and i think that was a pretty widespread thing because even over the weekend i was on twitter mm-hmm. and mike flanagan himself tweeted i saw a tweet from mike flanagan where he said hey I'm just curious, how many of you were able to find Midnight Club on the home screen or did you have to search it? So he was aware of that problem, oh, too. It's, <clears throat> I hope it wasn't like a diss or something. Uh, right. I, I hope not. Like, show some love, y'all. Uh, he's, he's certainly done a lot for the platform. Anyway, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love that. We're going to have to, can't wait till the next episode to see if they've improved uh-huh. captions. <laughs> What's that? That, that caption issue was today while watching it for my second time. So I don't know, because I plan on watching episode two uh, tonight after we're done recording. So mine <laughs> mm, needs to, uh, to. But I don't watch. I don't have captions on my first watch. So. Right. So it'll be next week before we record on my second watch. Maybe they'll have fixed captions for all Hopefully the episodes by next someone week. Someone has drawn some attention to that and gotten <laughs> them to fix it. Um, My notes. So you were talking about some cast members from midnight mass sandra um was on midnight mass she played lisa mm-hmm. yep. and i she said they they were giving her a hard time for her angel stories you'd think that was an easter uh-huh. egg it could have been that's it's, <laughs> maybe a little bit it's, of a it's stretch. kind of on the nose a little bit <laughs> i was like well if it is the character of lisa maybe she's got some interesting angel stories mm-hmm. again don't want to spoil too much of it in that mask but uh, <laughs> yeah i was like maybe it is a little too on the nose but i thought it was really interesting she just happens to be from that show and that's what they're kind of giving her a hard time about um which so is kevin because kevin was a i can't remember the character's name but riley's younger brother it's the same actor there was it really mm-hmm. oh i did not recognize him I need to yeah. go through and really get it. I remember seeing a, a short list of some of the folks from Midnight Mass um, that was going to be on this um, show, but I couldn't remember yeah. everyone. So I need to go pull a cast list. And, yeah. and then there's a few more that are still to come that I'm excited about. I cannot wait. I think I know who you're talking about, <laughs> so I can't wait. Um, and then I'm curious, why does Spence hate Mark, the nurse practitioner? Yeah. Got to be a story there, right? I don't know. Yeah, because the only explanation Anya gave was like, he's young, he's cute, he's uh, not dying. Yeah. <laughs> what's, not, what's not to hate, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, give, gives you nothing. So, yeah, curious. And he took it well, but um, curious what, what story is uh, behind that. So I guess more to come. But 
food for thought for me anyway as I was watching mm-hmm. that. I was like, well, why? Uh, he seems nice enough, seems really helpful, seems friendly, seems to get along well with the kids. Why, why does he? Is it as simple as that? I don't know. Um, and we covered all of my other notes, so I think that's a pretty good place to to wrap it. I'm excited for the next yeah. one. Yes. See where this story goes, because I, I don't know. I'm okay. not sure what to expect. <laughs> I didn't read the book. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Um, well. I'm glad to be back in the Flaniverse. All hail. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, I don't have any news for obvious reasons. Um, if I find anything <laughs> non-spoiler, I think, well, I've, I've, we've dropped a few th- little kind of things um, that we think anyway, unconfirmed. But if I find anything that's not spoilery, then I'll be sure to share it. Otherwise, um, we got some pretty good listener feedback. Um, so I'm excited to get to that. Let's see what our listeners have to say. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Kick it off with want me to do that? Yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, uh haven't heard this person, so we just wrapped locking key recently. <laughs> uh Jason Cabassi. Uh says, excellent start. I'm intrigued. I especially dig the nods to the Breakfast Club and the 90s radio hits. One thing, I feel like if I was a Lanka and seeing wraiths and ghouls that made me so scared I fainted, that I'd be less chill about the whole thing at other times. Takes me out of it a little that she doesn't seem at all phased, but that's a small thing, and I'm stoked for another Flanagan series and some strange indeed to go with it. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jay. Sarah Saltzman says, another high-quality show from Mike Flanagan. I loved Christopher Pike growing up, but never read this book for some reason. I love the concept and the cast, especially the actress who plays Alonka. Maureen Favo says, I love Ilanka's actress and character. Surprised I enjoyed the jump scares and the call out of jump scares. <laughs> <laughs> it was yes. fun. Alma Contreras says, of course, you guys know I'm binge watching this and then going back and rewatching it at strange indeed pace. So far, we have gotten to an interesting and creepy start. Did y'all catch the city it started in? Sacramento. Uh, I was like, please don't make something in my town spooky. (laughs) 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 
I'm really liking Alanka so far. How cool is that house? It reminds me of a Hobbit house, but for taller people. Can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts. Nice. <laughs> this one comes from Kara Rex. It says, I feel like Mike Flanagan was having his own little contest with himself to see if he could cram more jump scares into this premiere than any other he's done. Did they all work on me? Yes, but still, <laughs> I, I did want to continue on to the next episode, so I'll say I'm in for the season. I'm very intrigued by the storytelling premise and how each ghost story seems to reflect the storyteller's own internal or external struggles before ending up at Brightcliffe. Hmm. Interesting. Don Elizabeth says, I'm in. Interesting characters, plot, good suspense. I kept thinking that Alanka's dad should have been David Harbour. I really liked Dr. Stanton's talk to Ilanka and her father about Brightcliff, although I'm not sure if it's a bunch of hooey. We will see. Brightcliff itself is very similar to Key House and Hill House. Hey, um, I need to Google to see if they are, are all the same sets. I enjoyed the jump scares and I'm looking forward to more serious scares down the road. I did find myself looking into dark corners for hidden whatevers, <laughs> although I don't think Flanagan would do that again in this series, but I hope so. Yeah, I don't know if we'll, um, that kind of got yeah. to be our habit was looking for all the hidden ghosts in all of yeah, them. Yeah, I was but... thinking about that. I don't think they're in this show. I feel like that's like a haunting thing that he did. And then I think so. Was... I don't, and I just, I wouldn't hate it if it's done well, but um, I feel like it's something he wouldn't want to overdo. He, I think he likes to keep yeah. pushing himself and doing things a little bit differently in each series. So, yeah. but we'll be uh, looking for them anyway. Uh-huh. All right. The next one is from Maria Lawson, who says, I'm late to the party, but one episode in, I am hooked. Set and production design are always impressive with Mike Flanagan's shows, and this one does not disappoint. The door and all the circular windows and stained glass look like eyes, so the feeling of constantly being watched is always subliminally there. Mm. My absolute favorite line from the first episode was the gutting and real response of her foster dad. Well, it's really fucking hard to hear to the doctor when given the terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I love the storytelling in the club, and those moments remind me of a much scarier Are You Afraid of the Dark? Can't wait to hear your coverage of the show. Thank you. Yeah, And yeah, that line was really great. It's kind of that like parent just doing what they can to fight back for their kid in the most desperate of times. It really definitely felt that way, and I did like that too. I liked it too. I really like his character. We didn't talk a lot about uh, Tim uh, a little bit here and there, but I really like him, and Mm -hmm. he really does seem to care for her. Um, so it's nice. Gemma Hall says, I like the overall premise and it's creepy in the boarding house slash hospice. Few good jump scares. I'm not sure I like the stories or why they are relevant. I'm more interested in what is going on in the house. Death is again a big part of the series, as was Midnight Mass, and how the young people are on the threshold of death does make it all the more sad and creepy. Hmm. And this one from Brian Bern- Bernier, Bernier, mm-hmm. just says, meh. <laughs> Thanks for your wonderful feedback for now. <laughs> I'm just going to tease you on that. Um, I don't think he's Because impressed. I think it's amazing. <laughs> so uh, we're all entitled to our opinions as bad as they are. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I will say, if you are listening to this, Brian, um, hopefully you give it another chance. Hopefully uh, you keep watching and hopefully it, it does grab you more. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> We did get an email this week from our good friend Daphne. She says, hi, Rima and Paik. I'm so glad you're covering the Midnight Club, which I think is going to be another Flanagan gem. 
I read a bunch of the Christopher Pike books as a teenager, and Midnight Club Club was one of them. My favorite Pike series was Final Friends. Hint, hint, Flanagan, please do this one sometime. So far, I'm really enjoying the series, despite the sadness that surrounds the premise. I might have teared up during one particular early scene, although the gentle humor that is between the characters is lovely and endears me more to them. Alanka and Anya are the characters I enjoy the most right now, but that will probably change. Looking forward to your thoughts, Daphne. That's great. All right. We did get a couple of voice messages as well. The first one we have is from Jade. Let's see what she has to say. Hello, Rima and Paik. Okay, so I just watched Midnight Club for the second time, and boy, do I have thoughts. My first thought is Mike Flanagan doesn't write that great for teenagers. <laughs> so I am sorry to say it. I got to give it some more time before I can judge. But like the lead actress, Iman Benson, she's not really doing it for me. And I just think that it's her character. Like I hate when we're presented with a lead character who's just basically perfect and unfallible because it seems like they're hard to relate to. Like when Alonka was talking to that boy at the party. The writing was weird. Like, people don't talk like that. I mean, I'm a, I can get really into my passion things as well when I'm talking about, like, theater or something. But she just seemed to say words not like a normal person. And she just, her character seems to be, like, she's the very best of every world. Like, so supposedly she's a nerd because, you know, her dad says she never does anything wrong. She's, like, this little goody two-shoes. And we see her and her friend get kind of, like, talked down to by the mean girl at the party. And she's clearly freakishly smart. But then at the same time, she's like effortlessly gorgeous. I mean, hair or no hair. Iman Benson is friggin' beautiful. And she just acts like super cool and confident, like this this really self-assured chick when she gets to the um like the midnight club meeting. I don't know. If that girl went to my school, she would not be a nerd. She would not be like a loser. She would be the most popular person. So I don't know. Her character just seems so good at everything that I kind of want to hate her a little bit because she's like so untouchable, you know. But even though it's unrealistic, I really love that she's so incredibly optimistic about her seemingly doomed situation because like three rounds of chemo. She's a badass, man. That's no fucking joke. Okay, she's she's a champ and she's so positive that it forced me to like reexamine my life. And I'm like, okay, if she can be positive. You need to seriously check yourself when you're acting all bitchy because your Postmates order was wrong, Jade. You know, put shit in perspective. (laughs) (laughs) So now I have questions, obviously, since this is the first episode. Um, First question is, is Alonka psychic? Because she has all these visions, like these flashes forward into the future. And I wonder if there's some connection between her and Kevin, because they both felt like they knew each other when they first saw each other, and they were the only ones. So I do want to know what the deal is with Kevin. And yeah, who are these creepy ghost figures? Like, who is that creepy old man in that apron thing? And who is that scary looking old woman? I think that the they might be the husband and wife who initially um, who built the house. They said that he was a logging industrialist. And so that could be the reason he has this like worker's apron on. And it definitely looked like it was from the turn of the century. Same thing with the music, the the sweetly dreaming that music it was definitely from early 20th century and who is this foster dad he says i promised maggie that i would take care of you so 
Ma- he must have known her mother, right? Is Maggie her mother? There was a woman in the pictures that kind of looks like Ilanka, and she had like a headscarf on in one of the pictures. So I was like, oh, did she have cancer? I don't know. But if Maggie is her mother, then why don't they ever refer to her as your mother? They, I don't know. They know. They always just call her Maggie. I, I feel like there's something more to that, or else they would just come right out and say your mother. And now, of course, how did Rachel really die? Because Anya said she got really dark and she was into Wiccan at the end, like when things were getting really bad. And she said she said it felt like someone was following her, like a living shadow reached out and touched her. And then the next day she died. And Ilanka did have that vision of those like big shadowy arms reaching out. So I think that that's the shadowy figure that killed Rachel. But I was thinking about the uh, Wiccan connection. They said that it the the building used to be a religious commune called the Paragon and it was like a cult in the 1940s so I'm like hmm I wonder if those are like that's the Wiccan connection if that's why this girl turned Wiccan because she didn't come into the place as a Wiccan it happened as she started to feel more and more crazy so I don't know and yeah how was this Julia chick how was she cured and was she schizophrenic before she was cured? Because at one point she was like walking around the hospital like a zombie, repeating the date that she thinks she'll die over and over. And I'm like, is this supposed to be like literal or is it a symbolic way of kind of shorthanding the story that Alonka was telling about how she's obsessing about the date she's going to die? I don't know. But then she later develops this magical power of being able to tell the date when someone's going to die. So I'm like, what is this power with dates and everything? But all we know about Julia is that she took the elevator down to the morgue and then vanished. But when she reappeared, she said she felt like she never left the building. So this elevator, is it like a magical curing elevator or is it deadly? I'm like, if it, if it is bad, then it's really bad for Ruth, um, the girl in the wheelchair, because she has to use the elevator. She has no choice. And she's the only one of them who could possibly like get stuck in there or die in there. I don't know. Also, Something about that donated library, the way that it was like filmed, the way that it was shown to us, something seemed off about it. And like they stayed on it for a really long time and they made it an important thing that we saw that library and that we knew about it. So some creepy shit will probably happen in there, I'm predicting. So and I also want to know why it it seems odd that other patients at this place wouldn't know about the many stories of people being cured by this place like wouldn't this be more public knowledge i don't know what do you guys think also what do you think about the fact that elanka is not sharing with anyone the fact that she has had visions of everyone dead at the table with that hooded figure like why isn't she telling anyone it just seems like it's not normal human behavior to me like you would you would say something i think i don't know i would I thought it was funny. I enjoyed the meta comment that Mike Flanagan was making on being startled versus being scared because, you know, anyone can startle someone. It's it's cheap horror tactic, but truly scaring someone is it takes skill. And I just think it's Mike Flanagan saying, like, don't criticize me, bitches. I know what I'm doing here because some people say that, oh, yeah, he has all these cheap like jump scares and stuff. But so so Spence criticized Nazi for pulling the chief scare with the girl screaming. But then it just kept happening over and over and over to the point where it was genuinely terrifying. So good job, Mike Flanagan. I also thought it was funny when Sherry said, I saw a sign and everyone was like, no, you didn't bullshit. 
And I just got to shout out some actors. Um, Anara Simone is back. I loved her in Midnight Mass. Oh my gosh, I wish that she was playing the lead in this. <laughs> oh, she's so good. What an actress. So I'm really happy to see her back. And also I really enjoyed Ruth, um, Ruth Code as Anya. I, I really liked her line delivery and her character. And I just, I think she's, she's probably going to be my favorite character. Also, um, um, Amesh, that guy, he was played by Sarian Sapkoda. Sep, I'm, I'm killing his name, but that guy, he was funny. I liked him as well. Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not loving the show. I got to say, but I'm really excited to hear you guys talk about it because you really like Mike Flanagan. So I often uh, have a better time listening to your podcast when I am watching a Mike Flanagan show because you guys, you'll make me think of it in a more positive way. So I'm not going to be too hard on it. I'm going to give it some time before I judge it. But at this moment, I'm not, you know, I'm not loving it, not hating it. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get into it. So, all right, guys, take care. Bye. Thank you, Jade. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we were going to, if we're successful or not in uh, turning it around for anyone, because I'm, I'm kind of unsure myself, to be honest, at this point. Um, I don't know what to think. Um, I'm still very, very much in. Because, oh, I'm in. Like, it's only first step. Yeah. It's first episode where I'm like, I trust him. I trust Mike Flanagan to take this somewhere good. I'm going to trust the process. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just not quite sure. uh what to expect yet i guess and it's i feel it's a Mm -hmm. little different than what i'm used to you know and that's probably more on me than it is mike flanagan you know if you go in having certain expectations sometimes um, right sometimes that's not always a a great thing so that's probably more on me uh so i'm gonna trust the process and um hold yeah because i wasn't sure what's different i mean other than the main cast is a lot younger but it's not like Flanagan hasn't done incredible, compelling work with with younger actors before. I mean, the the kids of both haunting shows. I mean, all, all of the the kids in Hill House, and then you know the 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 two kids, the brother and sister in Bly Manor. I mean, mm-hmm. he's done some very compelling things with with younger actors, and so I mean, these are all young adults, older teens. I, I feel like that shouldn't be a problem or an issue. So, <laughs> yeah, trusting the process. Um, <laughs> gonna let this let the story play out. So, yeah. again, thanks, Jade. Really great feedback as always. Um, next voicemail we have is from our friend Steve. Let's see what he has to say. Hello, strange indeed. This is Steve. This is for the first episode of the Midnight Club. Um, no live Steve this time. I just kind of watched it and uh, interesting. Um, intrigued to see where it goes from here. Um. Is uh, the title character, is she going to tell the others about the ghost she's seeing or what? And uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's intriguing enough to keep watching for a little bit at least. All right. Can't wait to hear you guys talk about it. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm a little surprised, I guess, personally, that there's quite a few people that are like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm really grabbed because I'm like, how dare you? But no, I it's it's your own. I get it. So I do. Like I said earlier, I I hope that within watching this and again, I, I hope that the show is as good as I want it to be. And I hope it is that 
that it's able to to reward people for sticking with it. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely on for the ride. Just based on Mike Flanagan's name alone. That's always enough mm-hmm. to, to draw me in. Um so that was great. Thank you everyone so much for for your feedback. Um keep rolling it in. Um as usual, if we haven't said it enough, you know, we we're covering this one week to week. So um it'll be a week by week basis. Um so no spoilers if you watch ahead. I did put up a post for each episode. So if you are binging it and watching ahead, uh go ahead and watch it. Leave your feedback so you don't have to wait for us to get around to that episode. Um and we thank you. So next week, we'll be covering episode two of The Midnight Club titled The Two Danas. All right. No idea where that's going to go, what that means, but no. we'll find it. And I wasn't even going to <laughs> attempt to look up a description because it's either extremely vague and it's completely meaningless or it might be something spoilery, <laughs> which I don't want. So I'm just completely right. omitting the descriptions. I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> So hope hope everyone joins us uh, for that one. Right. Well, if you want to write in or leave us a message, you can find all our contact information at podcastica.com. Yeah. And while you're there, be sure to check out um, all the other shows from Podcastica. There seems to be a podcast announced every day. I feel like (laughs) every day, every week. So many for so many shows and they're all great. <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of great content. And, and really there's something for everyone. Uh, there's, you know, if you want something on the lighter side, if you want something dark and twisty, if you want something or if you want to nerd out on some star Wars stuff, there's really something I think for everyone. So yeah, highly encourage everyone to go uh, check out everything on podcastica and all the hosts are just fantastic. I mean, yeah. Um I'm envious of everyone and <laughs> and what what they do and they sh- um make me want to be better. So check them out. Yeah. And while you're going out and checking all that out, make sure to leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts as well. <laughs> yeah. Share a little love with us. <laughs> Share a little love, a nice review. I actually looked at some reviews recently and just thanks everyone for, you know, your kind words. It's a struggle for me to look because sometimes there's that negative one that's sitting out there somewhere, <laughs> you know, you get, you get a not so nice one sometimes and it always scares me to go, to go read them. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, but I, I did go peruse and, uh, there were some really nice things that were said. So for everyone, if you're listening, um, thank you for the nice reviews. If you're not already subscribed, um, you know, to, to Strange Indeed, please subscribe because that is what really, um, I think since um, Apple Podcasts kind of made changes to their podcasting um, algorithms and such, it's not so much reviews, which we love to hear the reviews and get nice reviews and ratings. Um, it's also um, subscriptions um, and mm-hmm. people downloading your episodes that get you seen and get you exposed, um, you know, when folks are looking for a, a podcast. so. Go out and subscribe. And speaking of great podcasts, um, make sure you check out Pake and Daphne and their uh, um, and Pake's other podcast, uh, Run for Your Lives. So you guys had a, a big 
uh, monument or milestone uh, recently. Yeah. Congratulations again. Yeah, we finally hit episode 100 recently. Um, <sighs> celebrated that with an awesome uh, interview <laughs> with author of Girl with All the Gifts and writer, the, the screenwriter of the film adaptation of that, M.R. Carey. Got to interview him, talk with him. That, that was so a blast. Great. He's so much fun. Uh, yeah, so that, that, was, that was great. And then we're still trucking through October uh, through this month. We're releasing some fun stuff and then we'll take a little break for like the month of November, come back in December. But yeah, if you're a fan of Stephen King, which I know you are, Rima, because we've covered so much King on this podcast, Mm -hmm. which then surprised me. It's like, this is our first time covering Stephen King on Run For Your Lives. Why have we not done that yet? Uh, Yeah, there's so much content. Yeah. (laughs) Celebrating it-tober. All four (laughs) weeks of October, we are covering it. It. So we're doing the 1990 miniseries, parts one and two. One is up now. Part two will be up this weekend. And then after that, the next two weeks will be the uh, Andy Muschietti chapter one and chapter two that came out in 2017 and 2019, respectively. Nice. So doing all it all October. And then another special episode on Monday, October 31st on Halloween. We will drop our episode covering Halloween ends since that will be out. Wrap up that. uh saga (laughs) that's great gosh i would love to do something for for halloween but oh my gosh i'm i'm so over my capacity right now Uh, (laughs) i just i'm like i can't take on one more thing um but that's so cool yeah i'm I'm excited for for all of that and then we might start little increments because we don't have the bandwidth or mental capacity to cover a show over on run for your lives right now. But mm-hmm. we did a, a series. We talked about let the right one in and let me in both adaptations of that story last season on our, our podcast, uh, where we covered those movies and they just released showtime, just released a series based off of that. Let the right one in series on that. showtime. Mm-hmm. And so we're huge fans of that story. So we wanted to, to we're both going to be watching the show. So we're kind of doing we're we're considering. So if you listen this weekend and we didn't do it, then we changed our mind. But I think we're going to do it. Um, nice. That instead of, you know, we don't have time to cover the full episodes and stuff, but kind of like what we do uh, with Bake Off sometimes on here, which we kind of dropped that, but I haven't even been keeping up with it. Maybe we'll bring it back into a season recap at the end with Jason or something. Yeah, uh, but yes, but kind of like that, I think we're going to try to spend like five to ten minutes just kind of giving some basic thoughts on like that week's episode or something. Oh, that's maybe nice. when we come back from our break, kind of cover the rest of the season as well. But just that way, if people are interested, what we're thinking of, let the right one in talk about it. Cause I'll be watching it. That's great. Well, that's exciting. A lot of great things happening and it's October, our favorite time of the year. So good time to check mm-hmm. out all the good spooky fun. Yes. All right. That is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Pate. And Patty Lauer is strange indeed.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.